Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we open your word today, as we are in the rare, joyful air of Pentecost, that you ascended on Ascension Sunday, and the Father and the Son deployed the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descended into our lives. Let us even be reminded in our baptism that the body goes down before it ever goes up. So Jesus, we bow down today. We descend today. And Lord, as we bow low, as we descend, let us rise in that victory we sing about today. That there's only one name, one voice, one King, one Lord. There's only one baptism that we are baptized in the faith into. That Jesus is coming again. Jesus does not play games with our eternity, but he loves his church. He died for his church. And let us, as Paul says in Ephesians, to live lives worthy of that call that nothing else will do. Let us not settle for mediocrity. Let us not settle for immorality. Let us not settle for passivity, for lewdness. The things that are trying to steal the power of the church. God, we raise up a holy standard today. We are not alone. We have power given to us by the Holy Spirit Power not just to pull the sword, but to tame the passions, the war on the inside. So, Lord, we thank you that you're here. Minister to us. Teach us, Holy Spirit. We need you more than ever. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Well, if you're visiting today for any reason, baptism, or um, you just found us online, we're thankful you're here. And we're thankful for all those tuning in. And um, you came back after last, last week's message, so uh, that's a good sign. Um, but if you want to put a bookmark at Romans 8, we're going to be living there uh, for just a bit. And, um, you know, I, I find it joyful that in the middle of what's known as we see in our culture is Pride Month, right? Last week, we talked of that love is not proud. So right there destroys the movement. If you are a Christian, if you have a wrong biblical worldview, love never raises itself up in any kind of pride. Love is patient. It is kind. It is long-suffering. It is never proud. Um, So today, as we continue on in our series, Galatians uh, 5.16 has really been where I've been going, that it says, don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh if you walk in the Spirit. That many of us, we've got to be careful. We've got to have knowledge and not be ignorant. That what it means to walk in the Spirit, it gives you power to not bite into, to not give into, to not take the bait of the lusts of your flesh. You know, many times we hear in church services, we hear all over the place about lust, right? The Bible's full of not giving into the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the scriptures say. But really the ultimate vice, that is the vice, the mother of all vices is pride. And we've got to understand that in the mind of God, in how we experience the Holy Spirit, walk in a life fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. Pride is never the starter fuel that you need. It is never the place that you arrive. And it saddens my heart when you look along the landscape of churches as many pastors, leaders, church members who say they are full of the Holy Spirit sometimes look like the most prideful people. Look at my gift. Look at my name. Look at 
my ministry, look at my brand, look at my New York Times bestseller book. And a lot of the times, and here's where the judgment of where we judge ourselves is when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, we, if we're not careful, we can have the mindset of we want to present to Jesus, look how much I've done. Look at all of these amazing good works that I have. Versus what Jesus will be judging is the motive of what you were doing behind the said work. And so we've got to understand today, you've got to check your motives of why you do what you do. And what grieves my heart as well is that many times we disguise wrong motives with a Christian aesthetic, with a Christian filter. If it happens on a stage or on a pulpit or in a church, then God must be blessing it because it looks Christian. But at the core, it is rooted in pride. Its motives are deceptive. And just because you put a little juice to it doesn't mean that it's godly. It's demonic. And so where I get riled up, where my blood boils, is in a month like this, is we see the church being very silent on it, or on the other side, embracing a lot of these demonic doctrines. You'll see one, and as we're in a season of Pentecost, if you put this um, news article up, this was last year, and this is a transgender who was on staff with the Episcopal Church known as Miss Pentecost, in a service around two children teaching them about trans theory and biology in a church service with the name, it's laughable, Miss Pentecost. And again, I'm not talking about things that are happening out in culture. I'm talking about how this stuff, how these doctrines, how these ways of thinking are openly and welcomely embraced in the church where you have let a predator at your altar around children and we're going to be okay with that. And I pray if you're here today, this should disgust you. This should rile you up. You should never be okay with seeing these things and predators coming around children. The, the church of what we saw today in baptism, this should be the most sacred, safe place for you to be, bring your children. Not have Miss Pentecost in a high-cut slit dress teaching your children about sexuality in the church. It's a mess. You can even look at the most recent controversy. This is how debased this can get. And again, I'm showing you how bad it is so that you realize you need to wake up, you need to be aware. And not all churches and ministries are created equal just because they have a steeple and a 501c3 status. It's not the making of a church. You'll see at a LA Dodgers game in the last few weeks, you'll see a activist group known as the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. You can Google them. I saved you. You, you can thank me. I did not put a picture of them up on the screen. But they are transgender men dressed up as Catholic nuns who parade themselves in the street, one of them on the cross portraying Jesus, and then another who is treating the cross as a strip pole stripping on the cross to detach Jesus from the cross. And this activist group was invited to the Dodgers to be, get an honorary award during Pride Month, the LA Dodgers. And as they were invited, there was massive uproar and the invitation was canceled. Well, anytime you try to cancel, cancel culture, it comes back with a vengeance. And so the vengeance came back, they all apologized and were invited back. And if you are a Christian or Catholic, these things should, again, cause disgust and uproar because they are invading that which we hold, that which you hold is sacred, that which you have poured your life into to defend and to protect the faith. And as you see this movement happening, we can't be unaware. We can't think that it will just go away. You even see a again, in the sports world, because now you can't turn on ESPN without it being political and full of agendas. You can't just watch a sports game anymore. That doesn't exist. Um, you'll see that there was a, um, I believe it was an Orioles baseball player 
up toward Montreal, Canada. I forget the team. I forget the guy's name. I just read it. Um, but he put up a social media post standing against Bud Light and Target, right? And we see all of that that's happening there is the, the money that has been um, that has been lost billions and billions of dollars in these companies because of boycotts. And if you really want to study what's going on deeper with corporations, look up the certain score. I forget the acronym, but companies with the, um, the, the Global Economic Forum, corporations and companies have to get a certain score in their, in their diversity, in their equity, and in their inclusion. And if they don't get these certain scores, then they lose out on billions, if not trillions of dollars. So if these scores are not met, then they uh, get a poor score and miss out on money. So the money that they are losing now pales into comparison if they check good on these, on these big global scores with these corporations. So don't be deceived in even thinking that these corporations actually care about diversity, equity, and inclusion. They are just doing what they need to do to get to bottom dollars. That's how deceptive this stuff is. And so as I stand today, as I look at what we're building here as a church, what we're building here is a educational community, is we've got to understand what you just witnessed is this generation, these six, seven, and eight-year-olds, what they will have to stand against in the days ahead breaks my heart. And this is where we've got to be vigilant. We've got to be disciplined as parents, as God's people, to understand of what is coming, not just against you, because hear this, this LGBTQIA alphabet community sex religion is a religion. And every religion has to have a sacrifice. What is our perfect sacrifice? It's Jesus. We're Christians. We follow Jesus. Well, what's the sacrifice of this? It's children. And let's go a little deeper. It's children in the womb. What should be the most safest place for a child the sacrifice is viciously going after the unborn. So if you were to look at the religious structure of this movement, you would see sacrifice. You would see worship. You would see pastors and priests teaching a doctrine and teaching an agenda. We doing okay this morning? Okay. So you've got to be awake to these things, and you've got to understand what we're at. And my big question to you is, as we see all this, I'm going to ask a Jesus-style question today, is are you Lot's wife? Are you Lot's wife? Well, pastor, who is Lot's wife? I'm about to tell you. Thanks for asking. We see in Jesus's apocalyptic eschatological discourse, if you say that two times, it'll sound like you're speaking in tongues. You're welcome you will see Jesus break it down of what it will look like when the end is near, the things we will face, what the church, the standard will have to take. And what you'll see is three powerful words, a scripture, the second um, shortest scripture only to Jesus wept. So three words. And Jesus said this. He said, to remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Now, why would Jesus say this in a long laundry list of wars and rumors of wars, all the things that we, we know to look for? And it's because of this, because it is a warning of what happened then. If we're not careful, will happen to us, will happen to a nation, will happen to a church if it doesn't heed the warnings of what were previous. So Jesus says to remember Lot's wife, and I find it interesting as I was looking into this, is that there are 170 women mentioned in your Bible where God used and, and powerful women of God. But not once does it say to recall or to remember one of them other than Lot's wife. So if I'm reading this, I'm putting a whole lot of stock into Jesus. Just We can read over it and miss it of that we're supposed to remember in a very important warning. Now, what was going on? in the time of where Lot's life, of what was happening. For lack of time, you can read Genesis 19, but you would see the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Many will try to sanitize that it was because of a lack of hospitality. It was a lack of, of welcoming. Well, to see how ruined and debased Sodom and Gomorrah was, there is a point 
when the crowd is at the door of Lot's home and the crowd is pressing in and, and hurling insults and wanting to abuse the two visitors that have come through the house of, of or come through Sodom and Gomorrah in the city, two angels. So Lot is holding back the two angels, protecting them, and Lot devises this plan of how he's going to get rid of these, these, this mob and this crowd and, and a poor father moment. So you can even see how even the, um, what I'm about to tell you, how so much of Sodom and Gomorrah had got into Lot and his family. Read on in Genesis and you'll see that they got out of Sodom and Gomorrah, but Sodom was not out of them. So Lot says, here, let me give you my two virgin daughters and I'll keep the two behind. This was Lot's plan to get the crowd away. Well, here's how bad the city was. They didn't even want the two daughters. They got even more inflamed and even more enraged that they could not get to the men to know them carnally. So this is where God sends an answer to destruction. He says, I'm gonna rescue you and your family. You're to leave, you're to run, and you are to not look back. Well, what happens there? exiting sulfur. It's literally falling out of the sky. If I saw fire falling out of the sky, I am running and beamliming it and never looking back. But hear this. There was a longing that was within her. Whether there was a lingering. And know this about your God and how our bodies work, how our minds work, is wherever you linger, eventually you will long for. So in the middle of God trying to get Lot's wife, again, whose name is not mentioned because her name is not in the Lamb's Book of Life. This is what the church will teach us. That's why she's known as Lot's wife. So because of her lingering, it revealed a longing, and God was trying to rescue her, even in the middle of what God's promise was lying ahead. What was behind her was so deep in her, was so embedded in her, that she turns around, and the Scripture says she is turned into a pillar of salt. And even how the language is used, a pillar is though a monument to remind of the sin and the shame of Sodom. So if we want to teach LGBTQIA plus theology, can we teach Genesis 19? Yes, pastor, that would be great. We're not even going to label that, but you get where I'm going with this. The Bible is full of this stuff, and it doesn't give even room at, for a glance at it. Or what I say, and this might be hard to hear, is we cannot, if we see ourselves as Lot's wife, are you a Sodom sympathizer? Do you stand in the corner and you look at all these things happening and do you just empathize and sympathize and demote and get sad about it and talk about it instead of going to God's word, truth and love and saying, this is sending people to hell. It is sending churches to hell. And where is, where is the holy anger of seeing Jesus going into the temple and turning over some tables on this kind of stuff. I'm not saying you are mad at the person. I'm not saying that you judge the person to the point of where you judge their soul, but I judge someone because I love them, and this is not what's good for you, and this is what will not bless you or your family or families to come after you. And as I see what this brings into churches, you cannot even entertain it. Now, hear me in this. We love all people here. And if there's somebody who does struggle with same-sex attraction and homosexuality who comes into the church, we will love them into truth. We will not shame them. We will not make them feel belittled because they're warring against it. But you, warring against it is the key. We, we sang this morning, every victory is his, yes? So there's a, this mega church pastor, Andy Stanley, you've probably heard of him. He's actually in a, in a web of um, trying to maneuver through this stuff because you get into what pastors actually say, and every pastor usually has a different thing. And he had this statement, Andy Stanley did. You can go and Google it and read it. Um, but trying to see a homosexual set free is like trying to rip a wheelchair out from somebody who is handicapped saying that it's on that same level, that they just have to live with it. They can't be set free of it. And I'm here to say, as I said last week, we are not going to be a church that says, come as you are and stay as you are. That we believe there is healing for every person, every sexuality, every part of what you believe about something, whatever lie you've believed, whatever demonic influence is there, 
there is healing and freedom and deliverance available. And this is how the church needs to begin to speak up again because we love people. I love people, and I hate to see what this stuff does to family. And quite frankly, if we are not loud here with what the scriptures say, then there is no ripple effect to where you don't know what to say or uh, does my church or this or that. There's so much confusion and I don't want to step on anyone's toes and, and there's this doctrine and that doctrine and that way of thinking. But we've got to know what do the scriptures say and if my biology does not line up with this theology, I have to wrestle with it. This does not change. This is the message, we are not the editors. And there's so much editing taking place. So let's get into the transformative power of the Holy Spirit, of how it engages into this world and into this way of thinking. Ezekiel 16, 49 says this. It says, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. So on top of sexual immorality, and please hear this, we like to judge the immorality that we're not doing or not participating in. So Understand the sin of Sodom is not just homosexuality, but all kinds of sexual immorality. So it's, it hits the full circle. But this was in addition to the immorality. It says that she and her daughter had what? Pride, fullness of food, and an abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. So we see three things in addition to what was the sin of Sodom that there was pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. If we were to describe a generation coming up of why they're such deep into this struggle, let's look at the pandemic of everything that happened. Wouldn't you say there was an abundance of idleness? When there is an abundance of idleness, you get your hands and you get yourself into things that you should never dabble in. And with all of the availability of what's on your smartphone, we can go down the laundry list of what creates idleness that we have a generation that is so idle, and because they're so idle, they pick up all the wrong things and expose themselves to all the wrong things. And not only that, it's, it was such pride, and it was such comfort, fullness of food. If you got everything that your belly ever wants, when it ever needs it, you're comfortable. Why, do you, why would you ever change when you're comfortable? We only change when pain is applied. So Sodom and Gomorrah wouldn't change because they had pride, they had fullness of food, and there was too much idleness. They had way too much going on, or they had way, there was not enough going on, so they just started coming up with things. It was kind of like when God's people, when Moses went up to be with God in the mountain, is Israel was down, there was an abundance of idleness, so they recreated God into their own image. There's always a recreation of something when there's idleness. Hear this as well about Sodom and Gomorrah. Warnings that are not heeded hardens the heart. Warnings that are not heeded hardens your heart. If you don't listen to warnings when warnings are available, warnings always precede the disaster, the calamity. And if we can't see the warnings of what's happening and understand that the Bible is not a story of what did happen, but what is always happening, is we always know that there is judgment. God is a just God as much as he is a merciful God. And it's better to allow the Spirit of God to judge yourself before there's some ultimate judgment because God is extremely merciful with us. Somebody say amen. He is so merciful. He is merciful with our church, with our country, and with who we are individually, with our families. And so we see these things. We look and we see that if Lot's wife could have could just kept going, that there would have been promise, there would have been providence, and there would have been that which God was looking to set her free into. But I, I honestly believe most people, when they're trying to be set free, when they're trying to war against the vices, against demonic principalities, it's in this being set free where if you're not disciplined, if you're not pouring your heart out before the Lord, you're not putting your eyes and your nose in the scriptures, that there's a turn that always happens and it robs you of that progress. It robs you of that, um, what God is trying to do and it sets you back and you go around the mountain again. So my heart is to get you to freedom, to pastor you toward freedom, to pastor your families toward freedom 
in that you don't allow a lingering to lead to a longing. That you don't long for that which what what that that which was in your life. This is something too that gets me. Many times if you're in a small group environment or a Bible study environment, and this is a caution to everyone. If you're not careful, you can get so talking about your past, about what is um, dysfunctional in your life and insufficient and how I've been hurt here and how I've been hurt there, and I start talking about my offense and my bitterness. And before you know it, in 20 minutes, you have brought up everything wrong in your life, and now you are basking in it, and you are reliving these things. And this just keeps the church stuck because people want sympathy and people want empathy Versus, do you want the truth to be set free? Now stop bringing it up. You're set free of that. I think it's that simple, but many people, not so much. All right, Romans 8. We ready? All right, Romans 8, 11. This is between the spirit and the flesh. You doing okay today? All right, so it says... But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we're going to see this powerful place we all want to get to where there's justification, there's sanctification, and then one day there's going to be glorification when you have a glorified resurrected body. So Paul's going to touch on these things. He says, therefore, in verse 12, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Aren't you thankful for holy adoption? For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. See, this is your promise and this is your inheritance that you don't have to fear and have a spirit of bondage in your life. These movements we see are such bondage and it's the opposite of what scripture is teaching. It says, but you've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, that there is a closeness. You have this personal, close, connected, intimate, yielded, surrender relationship with your heavenly father. God is not some old angry man in the sky with a white beard waiting for you to mess up and to strike you. It's a wrong version of God. He is your father and he waits for you to run to him. He waits for you to come to him. He is always coming after you even when you're not coming toward him. You don't need to have daddy issues with God. Can I say that? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. There's a lot here. It's very loaded, but we're going to keep going. Here's where the Spirit assists us through suffering. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation, we're going to see even, it goes into deeper, is yearning and is looking and is panting for Jesus to come. This world is cursed because of sin. And so we have to understand that we live in a fallen world, but we are adopted children redeeming the world. So we go out into this fallen world on mission. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you will, be, um, you will be subject to fallen nature all around you. And you won't have the power you need to address things, to walk through things, to really walk in freedom, to teach your children to walk in freedom, how to stand against such demonic doctrines and them not come into your home and to rob innocence, to rob peace, to rob truth. But we're called to go out as healing agents redeeming that which the enemy has taken. But it has to be infilled with the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 24, the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. 
Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Speaking of the day when there's a new heaven, there's a new earth. We have resurrected bodies. Aren't you thankful you will have a resurrected body one day? I think we don't talk about that enough. We think we're just gonna go to heaven and float around and play harps and, and no, you're gonna have a resurrected body. Earth is gonna be completely new. And understand this, Paul talks so clearly, and this scares me. The longer I've, I'm in this, the more I feel the weight of it. Is what you do in your body, you will give account in heaven before Jesus. And the things that you do, again, these are not solely a salvation issue, but a lot of it, what it is, is that which Paul says is wood, hay, and stubble. You will give an account to him, and it will not please him, it will not go to him. But that which is silver, gold, and precious stones, Paul says, is what will last and what will stay. And how many things do we do? God forbid, even with our kids, do we build them on wood, hay, and stubble? We get it wrong. We get it backwards. We get in our flesh. We get comfortable. We get idle. We get full of pride. This was the sin of Sodom. Let it not be the sin of us. But let us rise up and step up and understand that our greatest treasure is the next generation, is these children we saw baptized in the water and baptized in the Spirit. No greater miracle. No greater miracle. Where are we at? Let's jump to 24. Thank you. My filter was off like 25 minutes ago, just so you know. All right, so for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for, what it, for, what, for it with perseverance. This was Lot's wife's sin. She did not persevere. That which was her past was too much of a draw. But Paul teaches us as well that we have to look forward with perseverance. If you don't persevere for the future that God has for you, for your family, for your freedom, you will not make it. We're reading about how the Spirit assists us through suffering. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, and if you do not have a perseverance in the Spirit, you will fall every day of the week. And you will fall even deceptively. You will think you're doing a right thing, but you have not found freedom at a certain threshold, so now you just put Christian stuff all around it, and you make everyone deal with your triggers instead of you dealing with your triggers. I am not responsible for your triggers. You are not responsible for my triggers. You see all these Enneagram tests and these spiritual gift tests and it lists all of your weaknesses and all of my weaknesses and my personality type and your personality type. A lot of it, quite frankly, is just for you to feel okay and padded and empathized and these are my weaknesses. Now you have to deal with them, not me be set free, tame my own passions, walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. I'm telling you, we, we patty cake around so many things where he says, no, there is freedom and you don't have to stay in a weak, unsanctified state your whole life. If we as a church can rise up, get out of the idleness, get out of the comfort, get out of trying to please people, then you might actually experience the freedom and the identity that God has for you. But we stay so bound in a, in a little box, even as churches we do, and this is where... I'm telling you, as we are moving into an amazing future, I am holding nothing back. This is a call to maturity. We're not going to copy some other church. We're not going to copy some other ministry. God is doing something specific here, and I want to be completely yielded to that. I want to be faithful to him. If I can't move his heart, I sure as heck will not move you. Because as I move him, he then moves you. It's Many pastors, it's the other way around. They try to move you. They manipulate you. How can I get money from you? How can I get, we're having a building project. Can you give a little extra into this? We're not doing any of that. And it should be completely refreshing that we're not making this church about money. So many ministries have made it all about money that they've even forgot what they're even about. Gets me mad and gets me riled up. Because Jesus says in Luke 4.11, one thing is needed. And if only one thing is needed, which is being at the feet of Jesus, it said that Mary chose the better part. 
It's not that Martha's part of all the activity, all the programs, all the stuff was wrong. It's that you have to willfully choose the better part, which is at the feet of Jesus, and you cannot bring a mistress into a relationship with Jesus. And there's too many mistresses coming in and too many mixtures and too many idols into our walks with Jesus. And we think he's okay with it. Look at the God's people in Israel. Why did they stay in the wilderness for 40 years and they couldn't even make it in? Because of the complaining, because of the griping. That we think God winks at things that he is, his heart is broken over. This is how far the church has got from the scriptures. And I want to be a church, and I am committed to you to say we are a church of the spirit and of the scriptures. Nothing less and nothing more. You doing okay? Where are we at? All right. Likewise, the Spirit also helps. Somebody say help. Now somebody say amen. You need help, hope, and healing. Here it is. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness. Wait, I don't have to justify it. I don't have to have eight reasons why this weakness is okay, and here's how somebody deals with these triggers? No. It says he helps you in it. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself make intercession for us. The Spirit of God is alive and at work in the earth. This is what he does, and he prays for you. And he prays at a deep place that doesn't even have a sound that we could even recognize. This is how deep it says it is. But the Spirit himself makes this intercession with groanings which cannot even be uttered. So these groanings don't even have a sound because they can't be uttered. Many times we think this is a prayer language, but this is even something so much deeper because they cannot even be uttered. This is the depth of how you are being prayed for, for your help and for your need. So why do we run to everything else when it says the help is here and he's praying for you? Yes, we pray in the spirit and we engage in this heavenly prayer, but it's saying that there is another dimension of prayer happening here that cannot even be uttered. Now, he who searches the heart, say, thank you, Jesus, for searching my heart. He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We all know this one. We post this next scripture. We get the tattoo. Um, It's in our journal. Let's go. Here we go. And we know that all these things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom we, he foreknew, he also predestined to be, hear this, you're about to hear the secret to your breakthrough, the secret to God's will for your life, the secret to everything you have been longing and searching for. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God's will for your life Whether you are working at McDonald's, you are working in real estate, you are preaching the word of God, you are in retail, you are in construction, you are a blue collar, you are an artist, the vocation does not matter, the call is the same. He is conforming you into the image of his son. This is what the spirit of God always does. It always reveals Jesus and leads you to Jesus. So God's will for my life is to be conformed into the image of his son. And we settle for so much less. We settle. And I think of, again, the children in today's water baptism as they are in for the journey of a lifetime of having, this is why I love Christian education, because if you can preserve a child's innocence for as long as possible, we don't hide them from everything, but it is a greenhouse to where they get everything they have need of, knowing that one day you don't flourish in a greenhouse, but you are raised up, you are prepared, you are equipped, you are trained, so then you go get planted. But many times we even can get it so backwards where we try to hide them from anything and everything, and then when they get a taste of it, they go hog wild with it. This is the healthy balance you've got to understand. Because you can hide them, but if you are not equipping them, you are losing the battle. You actually have to give them apologetics to say, how do I, this is what the world says sexuality is, but what does God's word say it is? And hear this too, it is not the school's job, it is not even my job fully, it is you as a parent 
to equip and train your children. But many times, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, and you just think somebody else will do it, and it's somebody else's job. It's our job, it's your job. So being conformed to the image of the Son, this is his will for your life. I want to illustrate this, and then we'll close, and hopefully you'll be back next week. Okay, we'll be ready for you. See, many times, too, this is where we see, is we want to get the quick fix when God's process is a slow drip. It's a slow drip. Character takes a lifetime. This is what irks me as a pastor, too, is when you're in an uncomfortable environment in church or in a small group, maybe someone's counseling you, someone is sharing hard truth with you, the flesh always says cut and run every day of the week. And this is what we have to understand about church, too, is church is not about you, and it is not about me. But how many times do we make church about us? I only worship if it's that song that I like. I only like it if it's Dunkin' Donuts, not whatever, Bailey Jane's Donuts. Um, You see how petty we get, where church has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with him. And if we get this out of order, then you will be prone to offense in about three months of any church you're at. Because if you look for it to be about you and not about him, you come as a consumer, not I come to give everything to the one who's give everything to me. I'm telling you, this is the game changer. And if we can get this deep in our heart, that you don't come to get something, you come to give something when you come into God's house. And no, you're not giving to me. My heart is to serve you as a true shepherd. And in serving you, I don't give you malpractice. If you have cancer, don't you want to know that you have cancer? Or do you want me to sugarcoat it and tell you what you want to hear, but you die on the inside? This is where many churches get in the weeds because we need you to come back. We need you to give. And I'm just going to be this little false humility humble servant up here and try to manipulate you with my false humility. My stepping on toes now. Isaiah 11.2 says that there is a spirit of wisdom and understanding that comes from the Holy Spirit. A spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Holy Spirit will teach you if you allow him. And we live in a world today that just doesn't need preaching and getting you feeling good, but that will actually teach you how to live good. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Amen. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. And maybe you'll keep my judgments. Possibly you'll keep my judgments. No, and you will keep my judgments and do them. See, when this heart exchange happens, you are baptized, you are given surgery into obedience. See, obedience gets a bad rap. It's someone telling you to do A, and now you have to do B. What we see here when we are given a new heart is we are actually given obedience to a company of now how to walk in this health, how to walk in this vitality, how to walk in healing, how to walk in the spirit. That obedience is a joyful path, not a path That is, everything is now taken away from me. I can never do anything I want to do again because now I have to be obedient. No, when you have a new heart, you now are given the medicine you need to walk it out with this new heart. And it's the medicine of the Spirit. And I'm so thankful that God is in the business of taking stony hearts. What do stony hearts look like? It's a calloused heart. It's a bitter heart. It's a spirit that says, been there, done that. Prayed that twice, didn't happen. 
But when Jesus gives us a heart of flesh, he gives us a soft heart, pliable heart, tender heart, a moldable heart, humble heart, a correctable heart. But this is what this heart looks like. And what begins to happen as that heart begins to beat is you have to see it this way. Is there's, imagine two trees. One is the sin tree and one is the life tree. The sin tree, many times we get it wrong. We think if I just focus on what I'm doing wrong, if I focus on the sin, if I focus on the thing that is robbing me of joy, peace, the life that God has for me, if I just wore this tree, then this is how I overcome it. Where the way that you get victory and the way that you see the life of God, the image of God formed within you is this, is you have to starve the sin tree by feeding the life tree. See, we think we give all this attention over here and the enemy's like, I've got you. You keep giving this thing attention. You keep giving this addiction attention. You keep giving this agenda attention. When he's saying, if you will give me the one thing that is needed and you focus on the life tree, you keep your head in the scriptures, you keep renewing your mind, you turn the garbage music off, you, st- you actually care about what you're watching, you just begin to keep your mind clean and clear. Because here's the thing, purity is piercing. If you want to pierce the heart of the enemy, walk in purity. This is a lost message. So we starve the sin tree, and by starving the sin tree, guess what? You're just not pruning it, which is the fruit of it, but you are starving it. So guess what? You're going down into that root where it has no nutrients. It has no sunlight. It has no water. You have starved it. So now it has to die. You just didn't prune it back where next spring it then blooms. Many times we prune it and in four months we're back in the same thing because you didn't starve it. I'm telling you today, If you will focus on the life tree, stop giving attention to that because when you live a yielded fellowship to life with Jesus, this is the key, a surrendered life, then there is a oneness with him. There is a union with him that you will, 30 days will pass, 60 days will pass. You've built disciplines. You've built habits just because of your time and your fellowship with Jesus, your communion with him, that that thing over there isn't even attracted to you anymore because you put it on call. You put it on eviction, that it is now dead. And if we want to be spirit-filled Christians in this age, that isn't just in word, but in deed, you've got to starve some things because you have to make the choice. One thing is needed, but it has to be chosen. Many of us are saying, I want both. I'll make it happen, but no, you have to choose it. And guess what? If you can't choose it, how can your kids choose it? Because you're the example. You are the icon of Christ in your home. Has to be starved. If you'd stand with me, I want to pray. I want you to pray as well and believe this can be a moment where you lay some things down. Don't focus on something you didn't agree with today. Don't focus on something that was said that you might not even fully understand. Focus on the cross right now. Focus on Jesus because he is the one who sets us free. It's not a sermon. It's a person and it is Jesus. You bow your head and just begin to engage your heart with him. Begin to allow him to address the places that are not bringing you victory in your life the addictions, the shame, the pain, the failed relationship, the idleness in your life that's birthed some things that need to go, the pride, the fullness of your belly, or your stomach, your desires, your appetite has become a God. Not just in your flesh, but you go after every craving. If you want it, you buy it. Jesus, we thank you today that you teach us, you give us wisdom, you give us understanding. God, let us starve 
the sin tree by feeding the life tree, feeding ourselves with Jesus to where we are being conformed into the image of. I pray for everyone here today that has been passive in these areas. You see, we were never meant to compartmentalize all these different things that this is my time on Sunday, this is my politics, this is my education, this is how I spend my money. No, everything is to be under the umbrella of God's word, the scriptures and the spirit. God, we wanna be all in Christians. Christians that love radically, that forgive quickly, that don't walk in bitterness, that don't walk around with a stony heart, but let the heart of flesh begin to beat. And as people hear the heartbeat of us, that they would see truth, they would see love, they would see a people who just don't witness with words, but their very lives are a witness of a powerful, mighty Savior. Just take a moment to say, Jesus, I repent of sin in my life. Jesus, we repent of the sin of the snares of the enemy that we have allowed to entangle us, where we've put a Christian filter on it, where we've justified it enough, where maybe our spouse is okay with it, so I'm okay with it, and if we're okay with it, then it's all good. Don't rock the boat. But Jesus, you call us not to flawlessness, you call us to maturity. We want to be mature. But in being mature, let us not use, lose our childlikeness not childishness, we're not immature, but we are to come to you like children, like we saw today, eager, ready to choose the better thing, to choose the one thing that is needed, closeness with you. Jesus, as we repent, let us walk in victory this week. Let us walk in truth this week. Let us walk in your word this week. Let us get practical. And there's some things that need to die. There's some decisions that we need to make. There's some conversations we need to have. There's some stakes that need to go into the sand of I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. But I'm not gonna focus on it to get rid of it. I'm gonna focus on Jesus. And in my yieldedness, my surrender, I'll gain the power I need. And that thing will be sorrow. Don't let us get it backwards. Jesus, we thank you for what lies ahead for the future of this church, the future of your people, families. Let us not be taken hostage by these agendas, by these doctrines. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.